Hello, friends. Welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys, episode number 22. I'm Scott. And I'm David. And we are super excited to continue to move through Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor today. We have been uh, moving section by section through the book. We're we're now in the section where he's he's discussing for us all the different groups of people that the pastor is called to serve. We had probably we just finished talking about how it was our last the last section was like our favorite so far because it was really on end of end of life and mm-hmm. and dealing with those who are dying who are soon to be with the Lord, which is great. But today we'll start. We'll actually probably do two sections. We'll do point six and point seven. Now we are in chapter two. two. Um, of Baxter, and all of the page numbers are going to be kind of all over the place. But if you go through chapter two, you'll see a point six. I believe it's the first point six we've had in this chapter. So if you find it there, then then you're probably going to be with us. Yeah, in in my paperback copy, I've got uh, page number forty two. So maybe that helps you. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. We don't know. We'll see. But but we'd love for you to join with us if you want to pick one of these up. It's probably worth reminding. There are a couple of ways. Number one, this is. When I got my copy, it was free on Kindle. Mm. Um, and so if it's not free, usually Puritan books and things that are public domain are like 99 cent, mm. super cheap. Banner of Truth is an excellent publisher, um, and I don't mind spending money to support them either. That's a good way to get it. David, did you order yours off Amazon? Uh, honestly, I don't remember. I feel like it. I feel like Amazon. Yeah, I'm sure Amazon has it. Yeah, I'm hovering my hand over the book now, and it has an Amazon vibe to <laughs> it. So, vibes, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's it's not a hard book to get, and so you know, if you if you're a member of this church and you want a copy, and uh, for some reason you can't get one, just holler at one of us. We'll pick it up for you. That'd be no problem. We'd love for you to have it. All right, David, it's your turn to read. So why don't you take off for us on point six, brother? All right. We must reprove and admonish those who live offensively or impenitently. Before we bring such matters before the church or its rulers, it is ordinarily most fit for the minister to try himself what he can do in private to bow the sinner to repentance, especially if it be not a public crime. Here there is required much skill and a difference must be made according to the various tempers of the offenders. But with the most of it will be necessary to speak with the greatest plainness and power to shake their careless hearts and make them see what it is to daily daily with sin. Dally. Dally, Dally, that's what it is. To dally with sin. To let them know the evil of it and its sad effects as regards both God and themselves. So that's all of that's all of point six. Yeah. So, so we are to spend special time reproving and admonishing those who are living in sin. Yes. And we have a word. Are you ready? Mm. Ding. And now it's time for the Puritan word of the day. <laughs> the Puritan word of the day is dally. Mm. Dally. See, it's funny. I didn't know this was a word. I truly. One of my very my parents' very favorite things to say to me as a young man was, stop dilly-dallying around. I don't know if you've ever heard Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, yeah, I've heard that phrase. Okay. So dallying is from the word dally, which is a legitimate word, which means two different meanings. Mm. Number one, to act or move slowly. So to move slowly with sin, to, to tolerate it, right? Number two, have a casual romantic liaison with. 
Mm. Ooh. I think that's more. I think I like that one better. Yeah. 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 So to casual romantic liaison to dally with sin. We're supposed to be about the business of showing people the urgency of repentance. Yeah, it's good. Mm. It's good. I think that might be our first Puritan word of the day that was not that could not be used as an insult. <laughs> as, a, as an insult? It was, not, it was not naturally leaning towards being insulted. I feel oh, like that's I, great. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, contractually obligated to remind folks not to use, to use the Puritan this. word of the day wrongly. That's I good, that's, yes. I feel, I feel good about that. Well, David, this was great. We should stop dallying now <laughs> yeah, true. and move on to point seven. Oh, man. Hold on. we got to finish it out, though. Ding. This was the Puritan word of the day. Mm. All right. Now we're ready. <laughs> now we're ready. Thank you, David. That was true. Oh, point seven. The last part of our oversight, which I shall notice, consisteth in the exercise of church discipline. Oh. This consisteth after the aforesaid private reproofs and more public reproof, combined with exhortation to repentance in prayer for the offender, in resorting, in restoring the penitent, and in excluding and avoiding the impenitent. In the case of public offenses, and even those of a more private nature, when the offender remains impenitent, he must be reproved before all, and again invited to repentance. This is not the less our duty, because we have made so little conscience of the practice of it. It is not only Christ's command to tell the church, but Paul's to rebuke before all. And the church did constantly practice it, till selfishness and formality caused them to be remiss in this and other duties. There is no room to doubt whether this be our duty And as little is there any ground to doubt whether we have been unfaithful as to the performance of it. Many of us who would be ashamed to omit preaching or praying half so much have little considered what we are doing while living in the willful neglect of this duty and other parts of discipline. So long as we have done We little think how we have drawn the guilt of swearing and drunkenness and fornication and other crimes upon our own heads by neglecting to use the means which God has appointed for the cure of them. Okay, so let's talk about church discipline. (laughs) It's a light topic today. Light, light topic. Yeah, so nothing makes people quite so uncomfortable as this conversation about church discipline. Mm -hmm. And, and I think partly is because I feel like in contemporary culture, a, a, a large number, I don't know if it's even fair to say a majority, but a large number of Christians live with one of two experiences. Either A, they've never seen church discipline practiced, mm-hmm. or B, they've seen church discipline practiced wrongly. Mm. And because it's hard. It's, the whole process is hard. It's exhausting. And it's, and it's wearisome, and it requires great faith and incredible boldness. And, and you are, people will certainly, in the community and in the culture, they will certainly misconstrue what you are doing. And yet you do it anyway. And so it is a, it's a, 
it's a timely discussion, I think, for us to, to consider what he has to say about church discipline as the people to whom we are attending, because it is still part of, if you think about the, the shepherd illustrations in the Psalms, right? That it's a rod and a staff, right? It's both to protect the sheep and to correct the sheep. And we do both. We protect and correct. And this is, these are these more extreme cases, if you will, of correction. So, yeah, I appreciate it's interesting to me to read him, read him saying the church did constantly practice it till selfishness and formality caused them to be remiss in this yeah. and other duties. So, so Baxter is at his time of life living in a time where church discipline, it's, it sounds like to me, was not often practiced. Right. It's waning. And yeah. so he's seeing it and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, certainly today. The practice of church discipline is rare. Yes, and and good church discipline, even rarer. Yes, and so to for me to you know hear a guy that lived you know a few hundred years ago saying, "Man, people used to do this." Man, that that tells me that it's probably we are probably many generations away from a time when this was practiced well and practiced frequently. Yep, and that's really really sad yep it really is Mm. 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 but Baxter continues if any shall say there is little likelihood that public reproof will do them good Mm. that they will be they will rather be enraged by the shame of it I answer okay so this is a good objection Yep. Right. So, so layman's terms, what's the point of doing this? It's just going to make people mad. Mm. Right. What's the point of church discipline? If people are just going to get angry, why not just let them like move their membership and not make a big deal out of it? Mm. Because you know, why do we want to make people mad? Mm. So this is probably the fundamental objection still to this day, I think. And it, it may have a slightly different flavor, but it, it's pretty much all the same kind of out of the same course. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just thought, man, what a, like, it's like, it's like Baxter knows what you're going to say. You know, he knows what the objection is going to be. I bet he's heard it before. (laughs) Huh? Well, let's see what he has to say. It ill becomes a creature to implead the ordinances of God as useless (laughs) or to reproach God's service instead of doing it or, and to set his wits in opposition to his maker. God can render useful his own ordinances, or else he would never have appointed them. Oh. You know, Scott, I feel like it's been a while since we've had a good Baxter backslap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think this, you're right. This, this, that, little, that was it right that there. Little paragraph is just him coming straight out with a mean right oh, dude. I mean, like you know, it, it's it, you feel Paul in Romans, like shall the potter say to the clay? Yeah. Well, have you made me this way? Like you know. God has instituted this as one of the things that his church does. So therefore, the church does the it. Church does it. <laughs> yeah, but. we as creatures do not get to think that we are somehow smarter than our maker. Yeah. We don't. No. Mm. Okay. But he's not done. And, uh, that's the funny part is that he keeps going. Yeah, like, you if, could stop there. If he hadn't said enough. Yeah, I think you could stop there. The usefulness <laughs> of discipline is apparent. In the shaming of sin and humbling the sinner and in manifesting the holiness of Christ and of his doctrine and church before all the world. Huh. 
What will you do with such sinners? Will you give them up as hopeless? That would be crueler than administering reproof to them. Will you use other means? Why it is supposed that all other means have been used without success? For this is the last remedy. You know, so I tell you this. I tell you the analogy that comes to my mind with that part, David. It's like, it's like if someone has a massive heart attack mm. and they're lying on the ground and there's still some hope that they might be brought back by the administration of CPR. Mm. It is incumbent on me to try. Yeah. Now, what are the chances of this person being resuscitated? That's not really up to me. What's up to me is to do what I can as often as I can and as much as I can until something happens. Yeah. Right? Like, I, it, it, and, and the same is true with discipline. Why? Why do this? Because, you know what? It, it, ultimately, you know, the seriousness of what church discipline is saying, ultimately, when the church votes to, to remove a person from membership because of discipline, we as a church are saying, or a church that does this is saying, as much as we can tell, and as much as, the, as much as we have been able to discern, based on your lack of repentance, we have no confidence that you are in Christ. And this is, this is if you will, the crash cart is out, the paddles are on the chest, and this is our last attempt to shock you awake. Before, as Paul would say, you hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Now, that doesn't sound very... Uh, <laughs> seeker friendly no but but it is what god has has called us to do mm, that's good that last line it is supposed it is supposed that all other means have been used without success for this is the, the last, last remedy. remedy it reminds yeah. me of uh, like amputation yes you know like any doctor you know, there there are no doctors that i have ever encountered that rush to do amputation. Right. None. Every doctor that I know will try everything, mm -hmm. everything, everything, before they will have to amputate right. a part of a body. Right. Yes. Know, that that is that is the seriousness that should be taken. Which is why which is why it's not hasty. Mm -hmm. Right. There has been months sometimes years of begging and pleading and exhorting and admonishing and visiting and encouraging over and over and over and over again before you get to this point. You know, you, you don't rush to this. Only in very, very rare circumstances is it done quickly. And those are very grievous. I mean, I don't have to go into detail. You could probably imagine what some of those would be if you're, you're sitting here listening, but, but only in those cases where it is super, super serious. And the reality of the fact is if we don't, if we don't move now, then others will move for us. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when you, that's when you, you have to speed the process up. But generally speaking in 99% of all instances, it's super slow. Yeah. Hmm. So Baxter continues. The principal use of this public discipline is not for the offender himself, hmm. but for the church. Hmm. It tendeth exceedingly to deter others from the like crimes, and so to keep the congregation and their worship pure. Hmm. 
Seneca could say, he who excuses present evils transmits them to posterity. And elsewhere, he who spares the guilty harms the good. With reproof, we must join exhortation of the offender to repentance and to the public profession of it for the sanctification, satisfaction of the church. As the church is bound to avoid communion with impenitent, scandalous sinners, so when they have had evidence of their sin, they must also have some evidence of their repentance. For we cannot know them to be penitent without evidence. And what evidence can the church have but their profession of repentance? And afterwards, their actual reformation. Much prudence, I confess, is to be exercised in such proceedings, lest we do more hurt than good. But it must be such Christian prudence as ordereth duties, and suiteth them to their ends, not such carnal prudence as shall enervate, Innervate. Innervate. Yeah. Or exclude them. Yeah, innervate, you know. (laughs) That word. (laughs) In performing this duty, we should deal humbly, even when we deal most sharply, and make it appear that it is not from any ill will, nor any lordy disposition, nor from revenge for any injury, but a necessary duty which we cannot conscientiously neglect, and therefore may it be meet to show the people the commands of God obliging us to do what we do. In some such words as the following, Brethren, sin is so hateful and evil in the eyes of the most holy God, how light soever impenitent sinners make of it, that he hath provided everlasting torments of hell for the punishment of it. And no lesser means can prevent that punishment than the sacrifice of the Son of God applied to those who truly repent of and forsake it. And therefore God, who calleth all men to repentance, hath commanded us to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that we do not hate our brother in our heart, but in any wise rebuke our neighbor, and not suffer sin upon him. And that if our brother offends us, we should tell him his fault between him and us. And if he hear us not, we should not take two or three more, we should take two or three more with us. And if he hear not them, we should tell the church. And if he hear not the church, he must be to us as a heathen man and a publican. And those that sin we must rebuke before all, that others may fear, and rebuke with all authority. Yea, were it an apostle of Christ that should sin openly, he must be reproved openly, as Paul did Peter. And if they repent not, we must avoid them, and with such not so much as eat. I think, so the next paragraph... And we're going to go a little long today, but the next paragraph is like the second half of what he's saying you should say in these instances. So we got this open parenthesis in in the middle of this one where it's like, here, say this thing. And then he goes on and gives us this model of here's how, here's how you present this to the church. So maybe, maybe finish that next. I know it's kind of long, Yeah, let's do that. but I feel like if we finish that, then we can carry on the next time. Having heard of the scandalous conduct 
of AB of this church or parish and having received sufficient proof that he hath committed the odious sin of blank. We have seriously dealt with him to bring him to repentance, but to the grief of our hearts, we perceive no satisfactory result of our endeavors, but he seemeth still to remain impenitent, or he still liveth in the same sin, though he verbally professes repentance. We therefore judge it our duty to proceed to the use of that further remedy which Christ hath commanded us to try, and hence we beseech him in the name of the Lord without further delay to lay to the heart to heart the greatness of his sin, the wrong he hath done to Christ and to himself, and the scandal and grief that he hath caused to others, and I do earnestly beseech him for the sake of his own soul that he will consider what it is that he can gain by his sin and impenitency huh. and whether it will pay for the loss of everlasting life and how he thinks to stand before God in judgment or to appear before the Lord Jesus when death shall snatch his soul from his body if he be found in this impenitent state and I do beseech him for the sake of his own soul and as a messenger of Jesus Christ require him as he will answer the contrary at the bar at the bar of God that he lay aside the stoutness and impenitency of his heart and unfeigned feignedly confess and lament his sin before God in this congregation and this desire I here publish not out of any ill will to his person as the Lord knoweth but in love to his soul hmm and in obedience to Christ, who hath made it my duty, desiring that, if it be possible, he may be saved from his sin, and from the power of Satan, and from the everlasting wrath of God, and may be reconciled to God and to his church, and therefore, that he may be humbled by true contrition, before he be humbled by remed remediless condemnation. <laughs> to this purpose, I conceive our public admonitions should proceed. And in some cases, where the sinner considereth his sin to be small, it may be necessary to point out the aggravations of it, particularly by citing some passages of Scripture which speak of its evil and its danger. Man, so he said a lot there. I think if I were summing it up, part of what he's trying to do is to come alongside the pastor who doesn't exactly know how do you how do you address this to the congregation like how do you talk to the congregation about something like this and he says basically well here's what you can say and then he very eloquently points out but the things that stand out to me about what he's talking to the congregation about number one is the seriousness of sin right that this is a this is serious all sin is serious you know kind of number two is Here's, here's why we're doing this. I love the statement. Ultimately, this is out of love. This is, this is, a, this is an action of love, not of so hatred of sin, but of love, to, love, love for Christ and love for this person. We can't allow them to wander on like this, you know, and, and then ultimately, and then this, so this is what we're going to do. Kind of a, a three big buckets to me that everything kind of falls into. So, so it's, it's, it's really got to come alongside pastor. Here's how you can say this. But there's also an implication behind it. You should say this 
in these instances. You should do this in these instances. So we'll we'll finish next time together. I hope maybe yes. It looks like it. I bet we can get finished. The um, uh, this section on those who who are kind of in the in the midst of, of church discipline as a people that we care for, and it should feel heavy for us, right? Like this is not <clears throat> there. Uh, there's been less laughter the longer this one has gone on, and rightfully so. Yeah. You know these are serious things. We don't take these things lightly. Hope you don't take these things lightly, but just because they're serious, heavy, and you don't take them lightly, that does not mean that you don't deal with or address them. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, that is that. We will finish our discussion on church discipline the next time we get together uh, on on this podcast. Thank you again for listening, man. We appreciate you guys. We we love it when you tell others um, about what we're doing here, what we're trying to do as we try to to help uh, inflame the hearts of people to to reading these these treasures mm-hmm. um, because uh, they are they are exceedingly valuable uh, in, in so many different ways. So thank you, thanks for listening, thanks for sharing on whatever platform you're listening on as well. And we will see you or we'll hear from you and talk to you again next time. Thanks. Goodbye.